Sri Aurobindo was an Indian nationalist and a politician turned yogi, poet, and philosopher. He developed a yoga practice based on living an integrated existence, not just a physical self, not just a spiritual self, but an integrated existence, seeking to combine humanity and divinity into one, to liberate, enlighten, and provide wisdom to the world. And he wrote in his book, India's Rebirth, about divine wisdom, or the knowledge of the Brahman, the supreme power of the universe. Divine wisdom. He wrote, I seek a light that shall be new yet old, the oldest indeed of all the lights. I seek not science, not religion, not theosophy, but Veda, the truth about Brahman. Not a lamp on the way to the forest, but a light and a guide to joy and action in the world. The truth which is beyond opinion, the knowledge which all strives after. I believe it to be knowable and discoverable. I believe the future of India and of the world to depend on its discovery and on its application, not to the renunciation of life, but application to life in the world and among humans. Sri Aurobindo writes of wisdom through a Hindu lens, but he has a universalist understanding that the purpose of study, of gaining knowledge about the Vedas, scriptures, nature, contemplation, science, is not just to accumulate the knowledge, like our dear friend the tortoise, but it's the application it's not just about being the smartest one in the world, the smartest one in the room. It's about knowing how to apply that knowledge and that wisdom to your life to make the world a better place. So that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom, and I think we, you, use sometimes get those a little confused. That simply gathering all the data does not make you wise. Sometimes we get so concerned with knowledge, I fear, that we miss out on revelation where I believe wisdom often comes from. Revelation from many places in our living tradition, not just from one source or another. It could be a revelation from a source, from source with a capital S, from God, from Indra, according to the Rig Veda, Allah, from nature, from our own personal experience, or from the collective communal experience. These are all sources of revelation for me. We listened to Let It Be as our prelude music today. And the story behind Paul McCartney's song is that he was having a dream where his dear departed mother, his name was Mary, came to him and said, let it be. What is that if not revelation? Speaking words of wisdom. So it's not always from human sources either. That you can also get revelation, you can get wisdom from books. I don't want to say anything too heretical here in a UU church. You can get wisdom from books, 
from the written word. You can get it from podcasts, from TED Talks, from NPR. These are all sources of revelation. But I also think that we want to be a little bit more expansive and be inclusive about our UU sources as sources for wisdom. So I want to take us on a little journey through our six sources of Unitarian Universalism and talk a little bit about the wisdom we might find in each. We lift up these six sources that all speak to wisdom that comes from the direct experience of that transcendent mystery and wonder is affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. Sometimes this is called direct revelation. The idea that the wisdom, the knowledge of the Brahman, the divine, the source, the universe, it comes to you directly, often in ways you can't quite understand or rationalize. This is the way of the mystic, the way of the contemplative mindset that Sandy was speaking about. Modern day Christian churches who operate with revelation ongoing say that God is still speaking. Our living tradition honors this, saying that revelation, wisdom is not sealed, that knowledge, the divine, is found in many places and is always being remade. That's what it means to be a living tradition. It's not just about things in the past. Our second source, wisdom that comes from words and deeds of prophetic people that challenge us to confront systemic problems, transforming with the power of love. So the wisdom that comes from our biographies, some of which Sandy lifted up, the wisdom that comes from our living prophets, our living history that we had hoped to honor a few weeks ago, those saints and teachers among us who have stories to tell about when I was your age, about what life was like back in the day, that have wisdom to teach us here what we're going through now that they may have been through in their lives. I think about my grandmother, who was one of the wisest people, and how when she was alive, she passed on as much wisdom as she could, not just about how to cook amazing biscuits or incredible meals by herself from scratch, but also how to sew, how to fix things, how to grow cotton, how to be loving even when people are not always loving you back. That's the kind of wisdom I can get behind. The third source speaks about wisdom that comes from world's religions, which inspires us to our ethical and spiritual lives. Well, duh, that's what we're talking about today. The wisdom that comes from places like the Rig Veda, that we're going to talk about here in a bit, sacred texts from Hinduism. Wisdom that comes from Jewish and Christian teachings which call us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbor as ourselves. I always think this is interesting because it, it doesn't focus on wisdom per se, it focuses on love. I always find that really interesting, that the focus is on God's love. 
from the Christian and Jewish teachings, there's a sect called, a section called Wisdom Literature. It's in the Hebrew Scriptures. From the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes. Sandy kind of mentioned, she mentioned Ecclesiasticus, which is close. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then the book of Job that we've talked about. They're called Wisdom Literature. The book of Proverbs speaks about lady wisdom and that wisdom is this female divine figure that humans are supposed to chase after, to seek after wisdom. And if you find lady wisdom, if you follow the path of lady wisdom, then good things will happen to you. Right? It's similar to the concept of karma, that if you seek after the goddess wisdom, good things will happen to you. And you can trust that lady wisdom that God is wise and just. The book of Ecclesiastes in wisdom literature has a little bit different view about life and about wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes starts out, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Basically saying, like, I, this world does not make sense. People live, people die, I can't figure it out. Good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people. I don't get it. Ecclesiastes asks this question of, is there such thing as divine wisdom that we can access? Is God wise and just? I don't know. And of course, the book of Job, which most of us are familiar with, is a book about suffering. And in a world where there is much suffering, the question is, is there wisdom? Is there justice in the world? The ancients struggled with these questions just as we do. But I find it really interesting that Hebrew and Christian scriptures, that are scriptures from around the world, speak about this notion of wisdom and how we're to seek after it. So I mentioned the Rig Veda, and I was reading through the Rig Veda from Hinduism, and then I read through the book of Proverbs, and I saw this connection. They are both books about the accumulation of wisdom by insightful people. And that if you seek after lady wisdom, and you please God, lady wisdom, according to Proverbs, then good things will happen to you. From the Rig Veda, 1st Mandala, hymn 3, is a hymn to the god Saraswati. Saraswati, I think is how you pronounce that. My apologies. It reads, Inciter of all pleasant songs, inspirer of all gracious thought, Saraswati, accept our right, Saraswati, the mighty flood. She with her light illuminates. She brightens every pious thought. The idea that wisdom has this feminine attitude to it seems to span religions. I wonder if our dear friend the tortoise found that out when he went around the world seeking all the knowledge. Our fourth source Wisdom that comes from humanist teachings, which counsel us to heed the guidance of reason and the results of science. So there's scientific and rational wisdom, right? The reason and the knowledge that comes from books. In my mind, though, what this really calls us to is not just the accumulation of knowledge, the accumulation of raw data, it calls us to the application, like Sri Aurobindo talked about, to make the world a better place. It also calls us to temperance and balance, to heed the guidance of reason 
and warn us against idolatries of the mind and spirit, is how our source reads. That is not just about gathering and trying to know everything, trying to think our way through things, but it calls us to the balance of wisdom, to get the facts and then figure out what to do with them. I think that's really important to lift up in these days when science is not always heated and reason not always balanced out with spirit. The final source is wisdom that comes from earth-centered traditions which celebrate the sacred circle of life and instruct us to live in harmony with the natural world and the rhythms of nature. I like this one a lot. The wisdom of the natural world we spoke about last week, speaking of emergent strategy, but I've been thinking about as spring has started to spring, or spring has sprung, depending on how you count the days, I'm reminded as the flowers and the trees start to bloom that there is this cycle to life, that when things are cold and dreary, there is something coming on the other end. And even with climate change, our world continues to seek out these cycles, to be in rhythm. The instincts of the plants and the animals, they're a kind of natural wisdom. I think our instincts are a kind of natural wisdom. Trusting our intuition comes from an earth-centered tradition. But I'm also reminded of our tradition of Unitarian Universalism, which has the cycle of Sabbath, where you have six days on and then one day off, the rest and renewal cycle that you also see in nature. I wonder what kind of wisdom we might gain from looking at that in this time, where it feels like mandated Sabbath for some and a never-ending work period for others. How might we tap into that cycle of rest and renewal for those of us who have the privilege to have downtime? How might we be rested and renewed to take our turn in helping to make the world a better place? The Rig Veda that we read from has a lot of nature worship, speaks very highly of the storm god Indra, and knows that one of the primary sources of wisdom for us is the natural world around us. That if we open our eyes to see, we might have revelation come to us from sources we might not expect. So yes, all of these sources are equal opportunity holders for wisdom in our lives, both as individuals and as a community. And I believe that no source is more important than anyone else, nor is any source less important. I firmly believe when going through these sources, if one doesn't seem to speak to me in a moment, maybe I should wait and check out the people who are around me and see if that source, that reading, that hymn is bestowing upon them wisdom, comfort, resonance. Because even if the writings of Starhawk or the prophet Amos or the Upanishads do not necessarily enhance my life in that moment, by knowing that it might be feeding my neighbors. That, too, feeds me. That's the beauty of our community, I think, and the beauty of our living tradition, that not everything is for every one of us, but collectively, we are all together 
in it. That our sacred texts from all our traditions are a living library of human thought and collective experience that has been cataloged and shows us through history this ever-increasing presence of love with a direction and an application into the world like Sri Aurobindo talked about. I think that's what he's getting at, that our individual and our collective acquisition of wisdom is about its application and not simply the gathering of it. The future of the world may depend on its discovery, he writes. The future of the world may depend on its application, not to the renouncing of life, saying, I'm above this, but application to life, in life, in the world, with and among people. My friends, no matter where you get your sources of wisdom, I invite you to explore our various sources and traditions, our living tradition. May we find wisdom in these sources, perhaps in the sources in which you least expected to find it. Knowing that that source may not contain wisdom for you now, but that it feeds your neighbor in this time of high anxiety and high fear, may we apply the wisdom gained by ourselves and our neighbors to help us live integrated, divine and human lives in this world. May it be so. Amen.